So over the past 2,000 years or so uh, that Christianity has been a thing, there has been developed a doctrine. Uh, And I recognize that the doctrine is kind of a scary word, uh, so let's use the word idea. There has been developed this uh, idea in the tradition, uh, a big idea, an important idea, an influential idea, an idea that says that when Jesus was a human and walked the face of the earth in the Middle East all those years ago, that he was completely and utterly sinless. He was without sin. And what that generally is taken to mean is that in his three decades and three years of life, Jesus never thought a thought, he never uttered a word, he never did any action that was defiled uh, by impure motives. Rather, at all times, he resisted temptation and did what was right and what was pleasing in the eyes of God. Now, if you read through the the New Testament, and I know a lot of us have Christmas break coming up, so a lot of free time to read through the New Testament, see what's actually in this book that we talk about every week. Uh, But if you read through the New Testament, you'll see that that this is is straightforwardly there in the text, Uh, especially in the writings that are attributed to the Apostle Paul, so 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Hebrews. This idea that Jesus was sinless is apparent in the text. You will walk away from the New Testament saying, okay, yeah, that's an idea that is there. It's not an imposition on the stories. What has happened over the years, though, is that this idea, which was originally derived from the stories of the New Testament, uh, this idea has become so powerful, so influential, Uh, that when we go back to read the stories of the New Testament, it it affects how we interpret and understand them. The the tail has begun to wag the dog, uh, so to speak. And nowhere, nowhere is that more true than in the story that we read this morning from Mark chapter 7. So in this story, Jesus is once again in Gentile territory. Uh, This time he's in a region called Tyre, which which is located about 40 miles north and west of where we left Jesus last week, which was outside of Capernaum. Uh, And the only way to get there is to walk. So Jesus walked 40 miles into this Gentile territory. Uh, And implied in the story is that the reason for this long, long journey was that Jesus was just looking to get a little R and R. Because, you know... Constantly being inundated by crowds, constantly healing people, constantly being surveilled by the religious establishment is bound to take a toll on a person, even if that person happens to be the Son of God. Uh, so Jesus has walked to the region of Tyre and he has kind of an Airbnb situation going on. He's taken up residence in, in someone's house. Uh, and he's looking forward to getting just a little bit of peace and quiet. He wants to let his spiritual batteries recharge so that he can get back to the important work of ministry. And Jesus does get a little bit of peace and quiet, but just a little itty bit of it. Because the second he enters into the region, word gets out that that he's around. uh, And within hours of being in this house that he's staying in, 
a Syrophoenician woman comes barging in, unannounced, uninvited, and she throws herself at Jesus' feet. She begs him to heal her daughter, who apparently was uh, possessed by a demon. Jesus looks down at this woman, and he says to her, Jesus Christ, Son of God, says to this woman, It is not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. So what that means in this context is that it's not right to take the healing and the salvation that is meant for the children of Israel, that is the Jews, and give it to Gentile, Gentile dogs like you. No matter how you parse this passage, Jesus is calling this woman a dog. But what has happened over these 2,000 years is that our commitment to this idea that Jesus was without sin, uh, it has had some serious impacts uh, in how people have interpreted this passage. Because folks have been so committed to this idea about Jesus being sinless that they've been unable to, to depict Jesus in this passage as being anything other than entirely compassionate towards this woman. So they say when they look at this passage, uh, that Jesus wasn't actually saying harsh words to her. And they insist, rather, that he was simply testing her faith, Mm -hmm. testing her resolve. And they often depict Jesus calling this woman a dog, uh, and this is out of a a scholarly article from the 1980s, with a wry grin on his face and a twinkle in his eyes. Just casually calling this woman a dog, just a little bit of light repartee between friends. Uh, And as evidence to back up this point, uh, they point to the fact that the word being translated here as dog uh, was not the commonly used ethnic slur against Gentiles, uh, but rather it was a diminutive of the commonly used slur used against Gentiles. So Jesus isn't calling this woman a dog, they celebrate. He's calling her a little dog, as if that makes it any better at all. So at very best, right, this interpretation, it seems a little bit strained, doesn't it? And at very worst, it seems a little bit dishonest. And if it is right, even if it is right, uh, this is the first and the only time in the gospel narratives that Jesus sets up a test, that he makes someone pass a test in order to receive a healing, Uh, And it is certainly the first and only time that he makes someone endure verbal abuse in order to receive a healing. Heretofore in the Gospel of Mark, right, he's been passing out healings right and left uh, to Jews and Gentiles alike. I don't know about you, but when I hear this interpretation of, of the text, I have a hard time finding in it any sort of good news for us uh, as modern day Christians, as modern readers. Of this story. So I'm wondering if instead, what if we just took this story at face value? What if in, in this story we let ourselves see a, a Jesus who was just tired, a, a Jesus who was bone weary, a Jesus who had just walked 40 miles 
uh, in hopes of, of getting away from the, the crowds that were constantly surrounding him, who had walked 40 miles to get away from the controversies that, that had been stirred up around him, the haters who had been hating on him. He was just tired and wanted to lay low, and he had let his guard down. And then, then interrupting this little bit of respite that he so desperately needed, this woman comes barging into his house, unannounced, uninvited, and just throws herself at his feet. And Jesus caught off guard. And so rather than responding to her with his, his kind of trademark, barrier-breaking, boundary-crossing compassion, he responds to her just as his parents, as his brothers and his sisters, uh, as his friends, as his neighbors, certainly as his childhood rabbi would have responded to an ethnic, racial, religious outsider, not to mention an ethnic, racial, religious outsider who had just barged into his house unannounced. Jesus snaps at her. Calls her a dog, tries, that's an important word, he tries to deny her a healing. But this woman, oh my goodness, she has kind of Fiona Hill energy about her. She's not having any of it, is she? No, no, this woman, we should be taking notes on her response. Because she responds to Jesus with, with the grace and the humility that he, in this moment, seems to be lacking. She doesn't get angry. She doesn't let her her pride get in the way of this mission that she's on to heal her daughter. Rather, what she does is she receives Jesus' rebuke fully uh, and in exactly the same way in what Jesus has been doing in all his interactions with the Pharisees, right? He receives that rebuke and she turns it around on him. He says, don't, she says, don't even the dogs under the table get the crumbs that the children drop? And what she means by that is, Jesus, isn't there enough healing and salvation for everyone? Isn't there enough grace and divine love to go around for Jews and Gentiles alike? And confronted with the truth that this woman's, woman is speaking, confronted with the presence of God fiercely at work in this woman, Jesus' harshness instantly just melts away, and he actually commends her. He says, well spoken, the demon has left your daughter. The woman returns home and, of course, finds her daughter And to me, at least, this feels like a little bit more of an honest read of the scripture. It feels a little less strained than that one, that one that has been handed down to us by the likes of Luther and Origen and all those old dead white guys who have been interpreting scripture to us for years. And it makes me wonder, though, is it possible... Is it possible that we can hold both together Jesus' sinlessness uh, and the fact that that he kind of botched this encounter with this woman? Could could it be, I wonder, that, that the moral perfection exemplified by Christ throughout the Gospels is actually not about being perfect? 
It's not about just nailing every conversation we have, every interaction we have uh, with another person. It could be that, that the moral perfection Jesus Christ is exemplifying for us in today's passage is about having humility. And when having the humility such that when we're confronted by, by the truth and the presence of God in another person, even a person we don't like, even a person that we find annoying, even a person that we count as an enemy, is it possible that, that the, the moral perfection that Jesus is exemplifying is about allowing ourselves to be changed by the truth and the presence of God in other people, being melted by it, molded by it, transformed by it, more and more into the image of God. Could it be? I certainly hope so, because that sounds like good news to me. Thanks be to God. Amen.